And we're back. The Marshan and Oran Sports Media Podcast. I'm Andrew Marshan, sports media columnist for the New York Post. He's John Oran, the media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. And John, so much to talk about. NFL free agent frenzy in television. It was tremendous. Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, ESPN. We'll go through the whole thing. We'll go who's up, who's down. Uh, we're going to do so much on the NFL. going to hit on Apple, Peacock, MLB, and the big get. Bomani Jones, who has a new show on HBO called Game Theory, and then we'll have our call of the week. John, let's get right to it. Who's up? Who's down? Who's up? Who's down? Why don't you lead us off, Andrew? Who do you have us up? Jimmy Pataro, the chairman of ESPN. He brings in Joe Buck. He brings in Troy Aikman. He spent a lot of money. He's going to be spending around $50 million a year on his Monday night booth uh, with Aikman and Buck uh, in the main booth. And then for 10 games a year, you have the Manning cast. Uh, But Pataro, a huge Yankee fan, acted like George Steinbrenner, took out his wallet. And look, you can talk about the money. And is it too much? Is it this? Is it that? Bottom line is ESPN has had a glaring hole in that Monday night booth since it let Mike Tirico leave for NBC uh, and they haven't been able to figure it out. And now they have flex schedules coming. They think they'll have a better schedule. They finally made the NFL happy. So I have Jimmy Pataro on the way up. My who's up? Mark Evans. Mark is a top ad sales guy for Fox Sports and he's going to find that he's not going to lose $1, not $1 for losing uh, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman to ESPN, but I'm giving him a who's up, not because of that, but because of what happens uh, off the field. The NFC, it looked like it was on a downswing and Fox is heading into a Super Bowl year. NFC, it still has the biggest markets. It's still going to get the biggest ratings, but the most TV friendly young quarterbacks, they're all in the AFC, Mahomes, Burrow, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. But in the span of a week, Evans heard that Aaron Rodgers is staying with Green Bay. He heard that Tom Brady is coming back to Tampa Bay. And all of a sudden, Evan's job, which is to sell ads around these this NFC package, I don't want to say it got easier, but it certainly became a lot more lucrative for him. Yeah, one other thing with that, and we get into it a little bit later, but in the broadcast marketplace, Amazon streaming service, that's different. So there is a little bit less. I know, I think Fox thinks this. There's a little less inventory out there in terms of broadcast television. Uh, so rates could go up. So uh, they might not have Joe Buck. They might not have Troy Aikman, uh, but they'll save a lot of money there and they, they'll gain some perhaps, especially with better matchups with Rodgers and Brady back. Let's move to who's down. And I'm going to stay with quarterbacks, Drew Brees. You say, well, what did Drew Brees do? I mean, leave him alone. Well, Look at, he came out uh, and signed early before his final season with the Saints. He signed uh, on with NBC, the thought being that he would replace Chris Collinsworth potentially. Now, NBC, this year, they signed Collinsworth uh, to a $12.5 million contract, a bargain basement contract. Just kidding. $12.5 million is so much money, but still it's not the $18.5 that Aikman is getting and the the $18 million that uh, Romo has. But they sign him. Drew Brees is sitting there. No number one job. Amazon is going to go with Herb Street. Uh, it's not going to be Drew Brees there. And then, look, is there a chance he could end up in the Fox mix? Uh, there's a lot of, that would be a lot of uh, hurdles. I don't think 
they would go Drew Brees over Greg Olson at number one chair. But I feel like Drew Brees uh, could have really done much better, could be making much more money, and could be, I think he wants to do games and could be a number one uh, analyst if he didn't have this terrible playoff game. Now, again, I don't think it's out of the question that he'll he'll be in consideration to, to Fox, but and that could switch this who's down. But right now I got him as a who's down because of how his post-playing career has been managed. Yeah, I still think he has a potential to be a number one. It's just not going to happen like it did for Tony Romo. It's not going to ha- happen overnight. It may, it's it's going to take several years of seasoning. My who's down? Surprise, surprise, Andrew. I'm going to do another Sinclair executive this week, but but it's not going to be Chris Ripley. This time it's Jeff Gentner who runs Bally Sports South, which holds the rights to the Atlanta Braves. So here's the good news for Gentner. Baseball is back. And the Braves are the defending champions. That should be great for uh, the RSN that holds it, the uh, the rights to the, the team. The Braves have made the playoffs for four straight years. They're a good team, and they, they have a good fan base. But the bad news, it looks almost certain that they're not going to be able to keep their most popular player in Freddie Freeman. Fans are upset. TV ratings almost certainly are going to drop. And this is not what you want going into the season if you hold the rights. As an Orioles fan who supports a team that has lost about 110 games the last three full seasons, I feel for Gensner. <laughs> All right. They, they are. They did pick up Olsen, younger, uh, also Atlanta, uh, local like Freddie Freeman. So that might work out. Uh, I do think, look, we, this is not going to turn into a baseball podcast. I don't know these seven-year deals for 32-year-olds. Uh, aren't really the smartest if that's what Freddie Freeman ends up getting. Uh, those don't generally work out, especially on the back end. Oh my uh, so, God, Andrew, Liberty can afford it. Liberty owns the Braves. You're right. They can afford it. Forgetting the money part of it, it's just what's the smart move? Like should the Cardinals had signed Albert Pujols? All right, well, listen, we, we, we can talk, you know, we should, we, we should get Joe Buck on to talk about this stuff. Uh, he, 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 <laughs> so used he gave to be a baseball Joe Buck gave up baseball though, apparently, right? <laughs> he used to be a baseball. Hey, he's done with baseball. All right. Let's get into it. You ready? Topic one. NFL TV free agent frenzy. We've been so excited to speak about this and report on it. And it's been fun. Andrew, there are so many tentacles that, uh, to, to this story. It's all coming to a head right now. Let's start with the biggest story. Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, the number one team for Fox going on for the past decade. They're now over at ESPN. Why did ESPN make this move number one the nfl has been on them to improve their booth all right that's the first thing they feel as if by getting aikman by getting buck they're going to get better games uh if you look at the last contract the nfl just did with espn uh there's going to be flex scheduling coming into play in two years uh not this season but the following season so that's number one. For number one, let me interrupt you for a second, because this is what I just can't understand about ESPN. They have not been able to solve the NFL booth. That's plainly obvious. They have the best, probably four booths in college football. You know, they're, they're at game announcers for the NBA are doing well. They clearly know how to get announce, how to get good announcers and how to grow them. Why would they have to poach and pay so much for two guys instead of uh, having somebody come through the system? I mean, they tried to go through the system. It didn't, you know, they, they, here's the mistake that they made. Um, NFL is different than college. Uh, when they went with Joe Tessitore, he'd never done an NFL game. Steve Levy had never done an NFL game. 
The only thing I would say, I had Pitaro in my who's up. He kind of got the process wrong. It's worked out for him because he did get Joe Buck. But I would have gotten the play-by-play guy first. That's where you kind of build these broadcasts because the play-by-play guys are the ones who um, can make that analyst better and make the analyst work. It's not always the case, but generally speaking, it's the play-by-play guy that can really elevate somebody. Sometimes you have uh, people who, who don't even need the play-by-play uh, person to do that. But regardless, he got Aikman, he got Buck, and he got both. Using the college guys, it just didn't work. Like, you know, Levy is a very good host. Like, is he a guy, could I see putting on NFL Countdown one day uh, as a host? I could see that. Um, he's already, the you know, their main hockey host. Um, he's a good play-by-play, you know, doing the third college game. He's good enough for that. But Monday Night Football, there's more focus. Even on Buck and Aikman, there's going to be more focus. Those guys are going to, it's going to be different than than Sunday night. This deal happened quickly. This was, he, Pitaro struck quickly. And this wasn't something that looked like it was going to happen. Um you know, until relatively recently. There's going to be more focus on uh, Aikman and Buck on Monday night, but the Manning cast is still there. Uh, As a a fan, I'm still going to be watching the Manning cast. I'm still going to be seeing who they have as guests. I thought last year with the the booth that that ESPN had, which again, we both know that the NFL had been talking to ESPN about improving the quality of it. On social media, People love the booth because they were watching the Manning cast. It, 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 it created a, a buzz. You're still going to have that there, creating a buzz from some hardcore fans that for watching the last game of a, of a weekend for the NFL. You will, but it's only 10 games. And I think this is kind of an outside factor. I haven't been told this uh, specifically, but I do think when you look at Peyton Manning, you have to wonder, will he be doing the Manning cast forever? Right. I, I think Denver's ownership situation is in flux. They're going to have new owners. I think there's a relatively good chance that Peyton Manning might be the one, uh, depending on who wins the ownership, uh, which group wins it. He could be running that organization. He definitely wants to be involved in the NFL, either at an ownership level or a president level. So I do think there's some protection there. And then the idea that he was ever going to do games, he was never going to do games. And like that was not um something that was going to be on the radar and so um when was this opportunity to get a sure thing going to be out there you could have gone and tried to get Ian Eagle or Kevin Burkhart and I think that could have worked for ESPN like that was like kind of the misnomer throughout this whole thing they didn't like there's always like this well only these four or five people there's a there's a the, the people who can do it's a little bit larger i think burkhart's in there i think ian eagle's in there uh and there's there's a couple others who i think are on the rise who could do those type of booths but they just kept putting out booths that just weren't up to the level that they needed you know just just technically up to the level and look i don't want to bemoan the part i I wrote it at the time when they first announced it i mean the tessator booger mcfarland in a cart jason witten booth i mean that one from the go just didn't make much sense um and the hype they put around it, it just didn't make any sense Levy, Greasy, Riddick wasn't bad. It just didn't stick out enough um, and wasn't great. And so when you look at where the schedule is going, if you're told the NFL in negotiations that we're going to have a top booth, then this was their chance to say, we can have one of the best boots we can get over with. Yes, it's going to cost a lot of money, but they're already spending so much. Again, I don't know if I buy this. This is this is like, I hear this from like executives and TV people now. This is agent talk. Um, well, you're already spending $170 million <laughs> per game. What's another, you know, $2 million per game? You know, and it adds up to now $50 million. Like, 
that's a great coming from uh, the agent side of it. I think that makes total sense when they say to me that to me, but I don't know if I buy it like good for it's good for business, right? It's good for uh, the Joe Buck and all these and Charlie Aikman and all these other people, Romo, et cetera, et cetera. It's good for our business because when you're talking about these big numbers, that's better for our business. I don't know if I necessarily buy, well, they should make this much just because of that, but you know, good for them. Um, but I'm not sure if I buy it just because the uh, to own the games cost so much. No, I interviewed um, David Hill for SBJ Media Newsletter, uh, fully expecting him to bash the deal, the ESPN deal, because he, he had a career of bashing ESPN. So I thought that he, he'd be able to do that. And I like, I like those tabloid instincts. Let me get <laughs> Hill on to bash uh, the ESPN. Very good, John. Well, you can send your resume to Christopher Shaw, our sports editor, and we'll see what we can do for you. Yeah, well, guess what? He did not bash uh, ESPN. He, he talked about how there are so few play-by-play anal- analysts who are really the cream of the cream that are out there. And if you, if you're able to get one, get one, it, it harkens back to, you know, 1994. Don't, I'm going to sound like an old guy, but when Fox got the NFL, you know, he paid Madden $8 million a year in 1994, which is still a high number for, for today. But at, at that time it was incredible because he saw something in Madden and he, he still sees that same thing in Aikman and in Collinsworth and in Romo and, and Buck. You know, another factor you have to, um, think about with this whole thing is that this didn't happen till late. Okay. So Aikman looked as if he was going to Amazon and Fox, that was almost a done deal. Uh, they were negotiating and during up to the Super Bowl, and that was very close to happening. And Aikman would have stayed with Buck in the afternoons and then done Amazon with Al Michaels uh, as well. And maybe he would have split the games. I don't know exactly how that would have totally worked, but that was almost done. Pataro comes in late realizes he can get Aikman and then also maybe Joe Buck. And if he doesn't get Joe Buck, he would have gotten Al Michaels most likely on a three-year deal, I think, um, because Michaels would have returned, worked with Aikman, better games. I, again, that not guaranteed that would have happened. Uh, from what I understand, Amazon is going to pay Al Michaels tremendous money. Uh, we're talking about Buck making five years, 75 million. Al might be getting more than that. Not five years, but the, the uh, yearly salary uh, is in that range, if not more. Uh, only a three-year deal with Amazon. Still, he's close to signing half-yard line there. Um, so then that happens late. And Fox did right by Buck, letting him out. Um, he's going to make I don't know if twice as much, but he's he's not twice as much, but a lot more money. Uh, this would have been eight uh, bucks last year doing baseball. He would have done this year. And then I think he would have been off baseball uh, after this year, regardless if he had stayed at Fox or not. So that was coming to an end. So it's 24 years instead of that nice number of 25 for Buck on baseball. You know, he's going to probably produce ESPN plus stuff, maybe some documentaries. He can work with his wife, Michelle, who also works at ESPN. She just re-signed last year. If that doesn't happen, I don't think this plays out the way it does. Uh, if she wasn't still at ESPN, now it's a family affair for them. I think that's a big factor. Uh, so you could see why uh, that worked out for for Buck and now why it worked out for ESPN as well. Here's another interesting aspect to me is in 2013, Fox was launching FS1. NBC was trying to build up uh, NBCSN. Uh, and there, there, there was a, a rush for talent. And all of a sudden, across sports media, on-air uh, personalities, and it, we just saw this huge increase. And ESPN, for the past, what, five years, 
has been trying to get those uh, salaries to come back. They've been letting go of people. They've been renegotiating re re uh, deals. And now all of a sudden, with one swoop, we're going to have two of the highest paid uh, booth announcers in the NFL. If I'm Chris Fowler, I'm, 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 uh, all of a sudden I'm, I'm, at a, I'm calling play-by-play -play for the college football championship. Like, how soon is it going to take me to go in and, 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 uh, and make an ass going up that high? Um, Mars Shannon Oren Sports Media Podcast is a huge crack staff of researchers, and they dug up this quote when uh, ESPN lost Tom Rinaldi to Fox. Stephanie Drewley, one of their top executives, said, got it right here, people watching on YouTube, we're proud of the work we've done with Tom through the years. He's an award-winning storyteller and skilled reporter, and we wish him continued success. While we're disappointed to see Tom move on, the moment we find ourselves in demands an even more disciplined approach to our business. We are blessed with an exceptional group of storytellers who will lead us forward. The key word there is discipline, Andrew, right? Yeah. Well, the, well, there's been a lot of talk. Now, I, I, I brought that up, okay? Crack staff brought it up early. But I will say this. Different circumstances, calls for different wallets. Um, but look... I said this last week. I do feel for when people are going to be asking for $15,000 extra and they're like, we well, got no money. Like you can't, like you let just say no, don't tell anybody you have no money. Okay. That just don't tell us you have no money. Just if you're going to nickel and dime people. And then all of a sudden uh, you have um, an extra, let's see if bucks getting 15, 18, 33 and a half million dollars is laying around. Um, you know, they're going to do that with Skip Bayless too. They're going to spend, you know, spend a lot with him. So look, I don't really actually begrudge them. They have a business to run and they got to decide where they think they should spend their money, um, of course. Uh, but they have just tried to try to be a little more disciplined. They, they go for, these are big names. It's the NFL. And if you're going to invest in something, to me, the NFL is something you want to invest. It's important to the NFL. And so even though you give them billions of dollars, you still have to do what's important to the NFL, which is such an amazing thing that the NFL has going on. The idea that they're, you know, this isn't necessarily... Uh, discipline in terms of spending. So I uh, almost today gave my who's up honor. It's an honor, right? Uh, it's to... the biggest honor in sports media. It's better. If you ask Joe Buck or Troy Aikman, would you rather have 15 or $18 million or a who's up? Uh, they take the 15 or $18 million, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it is an honor. But if it was five or $8, maybe they'd rather have the who's five... up. I still, think, I they almost the, did I still think they take the five or $8. Yeah, actually, I would take the five or $8. Definitely. <laughs> Uh, I almost gave my who's up to Eric Shanks because uh, he just saved how much uh, there uh, it's a $30 million booth now. And what, what was it be beforehand? He just saved about $20 million a year. Th this is a question I get all the time uh, from, from friends. The booth doesn't increase ratings. Ad sales are going to uh, not see a hit at all for Fox, especially in, in a year. Like I, I know that they're getting pressure from the NFL, but why pay this for something that doesn't increase ratings? Yeah, well, like, look, I think ESPN is going to argue that their games are better. Like, we might not hear fully from Aikman and Buck until the NFL schedule comes out in terms of, like, a conference call or whatever from ESPN because I think that they'll try to, you know, link those two things together. I think that's will be ESPN's theme uh, in terms of why this makes sense. Um, you know, it's all subjective, does ESPN get a little bit better schedule? We'll have to see in, in terms of uh, this year. It's really the next year. They also have more games. I think they should try to be creative with those extra games. Uh, you know, Buck and Aikman will do, what, 17, 18 games. They have 25 in two years. I think they should try to say, 
Well, all right, we haven't been able to get this right at the highest profile. Because that's the other thing in defense of Tessator and company is that they were put together, these teams that never worked together, and they're on like one of the most spotlighted games ever. But now you have a chance with secondary games and Saturdays and to, to, to make another crew that could be a fun crew and develop them. And then maybe you have, you know, in five years, you say, all right, well, maybe we, these key guys could be our number one crew, uh, depending on where you are. And that's how you kind of, build that farm system if you're Pitaro and company. Uh, I don't know if they'll do that. Most likely they'll probably go with Fowler and Herb Street uh, and just keep it easy and just make sure it's like uh, uh, serviceable. And let's go to Fox here. Uh, when you uh, think about what they did and what they're going to do, let's just first off go over what they what's next for them. Kevin Burkhardt is the favorite to be the play-by-player uh, for the Super Bowl. They have two of the next three Super Bowls. He's a favorite almost as underplaying it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm hearing it's kind of his to lose, no? It's his, and Al Michaels on the half yard line. Let me <laughs> just get out, get Al Michaels' signature on that contract. And I'll Al Michaels is working the clock, Andrew. Like, come on, score already. Well, Fox is out there. That's all I'm going to say. All I'm right, not right. saying I think it will be Kevin Burkhart, but um, I think a, a famous, I, I compared uh, Al Michaels to Tom Brady in a column after the Super Bowl. Uh, Tom Brady said, never say never. So I agree. I think it will be Kevin Burkhart. Uh, I have sources saying Kevin Burkhart. I still will just say Al Michaels, again, as we're recording, is on the half yard line. Maybe by the time you're listening by the weekend or whatever, maybe it's already signed. Maybe everything's done. Very possible that it is. I, I, I've reported Kevin Burkhart. So Fox is down to those two play by play. Most likely Burkhart, a small possibility of Michaels. What about the analysts? What are they looking at there? Greg Olson, uh, a podcast guest, uh, Greg Olson? That's, I think, a requirement if you have to be a podcast guest on um, the uh, Marshan Oren Sports Media podcast to be, uh, to be a deep, to have a chance. So Bomani Jones is now in contention. Yeah, Greg Olson, it's, it's not, I don't think he's a guarantee, but he's the leading candidate. Uh, I think they will first get the play-by-play done, most likely Burkhart, um, and then they will work on the analyst. Um, we mentioned Breeze earlier. I don't think so, but I wouldn't totally rule him out. Um, I think they're going to look um, far. I think they would have talked, tried to talk to Brady if he hadn't come back. Um, just I don't know if they they weren't going to spend on Troy Aikman at that number. I don't know if you're going to hire uh, for Tom Brady. Maybe, but that's not going to happen, obviously, now. I think they'll try to be creative. It's just it's a Super Bowl year. I think you want some experience. Uh, and so uh, I think likely it helps them that it's Burkhart uh, for, for Greg Olson. If it is Burkhart, that's where they likely go. And then that number two position will be interesting to see. You could promote Adam Amin to that two slot. He's good. Um, you have Gus Johnson on college. Do you move him over to the NFL? Uh, and then a mean to college, that's something you could consider. So that the number two spot to me is very interesting. A little, um, maybe, you know, everyone focuses on the number one, that's going to go mainstream more sports media geekdom, that number two slot, what they do there might even be more interesting. I know this is the NFL free agent pod, but real quick, baseball in October on Fox. Um, it'd be very surprising if it's not Joe Davis. Um, you know, they like Adam Amin as well, who's in-house. Uh, they like Dan Shulman, who has another year on his contract um, with ESPN, where he does the radio. He doesn't do any other um, baseball for them, does the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, so, uh, but that doesn't look like it's going to happen. They also like Matt Baskurgeon, but I think it's going to be Joe Davis. Um, I'd be surprised if it's not. Um, he's been the number two. You know, these are, I mean, like we could talk all about this. Burkhart was number two. 
Joe Davis was number two behind Buck. So you think, all right, well, they're, they're the ones you'd elevate if you stay internal. Box has always said that they have a deep bench and that's a, that's proof positive right there. hundred percent. All right. So at ESPN, we have Joe Buck, Troy Aikman at Fox. We have Kevin Burkhart and possibly Greg Olson. We'll see what happens with that. CBS, we have Nance and Romo. The, the, obviously nothing's happening with them. Let's go to NBC right now. It's going to be Tarico and Collinsworth, right? Yes. Lynchpin of all this, when you look at how this all like came about, you got to really go back. I think it was 2015, John Skipper in charge. And he let uh, Tarico get to NBC. Uh, Tarico wanted to do a Super Bowl. He's waited forever, apprenticeship under Al Michaels. Uh, and uh, even though he was the Monday Night Football number one. Uh, but since then, they had McDonough. McDonough and John Gruden didn't work together. Um, and then after that, they, you know, tried all kinds of, you know, with the Tessitore group, uh, and then the Levy group. Uh, but that's where NBC came in. They got Tariko to do host the Olympics to succeed Costas. And then, um, you know, Al Michaels, I don't think really wanted to leave NBC in terms of that role. Uh, but the Tariko has, has been in the on deck circle. And so he gets that spot. Uh, and then Collinsworth, I do think there is a chance if Breeze had really knocked it out of the park, he would have been the analyst and they would have moved on from Collinsworth. Um, but instead Breeze doesn't do as well. They got Breeze uh, with the thought, maybe he could be the number one. Uh, and now it's going to be Collinsworth with a new contract, $12.5 million for Collinsworth, um, which is a great amount of money to call football for five months a year, but it's not the 18 and 18 and a half million that uh, Romo and Aikman are getting. It's going to be fun to evaluate it all and see who, who, who got it right, who got it wrong uh, and as we go into next season, because that, that will be a big topic of conversation in terms of the new booths. One more booth that's out there. We have Amazon and they, they're, they're talking to Al Michaels, of course. Yep. They, uh, you've reported extensively about uh, Kirk Herbstreit coming over. That appears pretty set, right? That well, we said before. Half yard line. Half, <laughs> Half yard, yard line. line. I, mean, I reported Al Michaels and Amazon linked them up in June. Where are we? What are Mark? We're March. <laughs> <laughs> this has been going on for a while. Uh, this is not new. Uh, I think the money is crazy for Al. Um, uh, at one point, it looked like he might do 11 of the games instead of all 16. He's doing all 16 from what I've been told. Um, and so the money... I, you know, Joe Buck got 15 uh, for basically doing the NFL. I think Al might've gotten more than that. He wanted Collinsworth to do it. He wanted Aikman to do it. He thought he was getting Aikman, didn't get Aikman. He loves McVay. Uh, they tried, they tried for McVay, might've gone to 20 million for him. And then uh, Herb Street's getting in there. He's getting a nice payday, but not, no 20 million for him, much less than that. Uh, but uh, I think ESPN might try to extend him. I could see that as part of the Amazon deal. So then they keep him on their payroll as well and let him make more money. And then they keep him. They don't have to spend maybe as much on him. So it kind of makes some sense. I could see why they would do it like that. We always joke about when Joe Buck was doing baseball and football in October, you know, crying me a river about his schedule. But it is a lot for what Herb Street's going to be doing Thursday night football, Friday travel. You know, I'm sure he's doing the private jets here, but um, Saturday game day, uh, Saturday. Is he going to be on aisle or is he going to be on window? Do you think, Andrew? <laughs> I do not think he's going to be economy class here. I think he's <laughs> flying. Um, all these guys are flying. Well, low low key. I, I just think Amazon's aggressiveness in trying to get like top well-known stars. They don't want to groom anybody either. They want big stars in there. And I think that that was the linchpin 
that created all these big salaries here because all of a sudden, you know, it, it, they, they had the potential when all this started to end up with a better booth than ESPN who calls themselves a worldwide leader. I mean, that's sort of to me where, where everything uh, blew up and in, in terms of salaries here. You know, we always, we don't like to focus too much on PR, but I will say you will be getting a call from their head of PR, Chris LaPlaca. They used to call themselves the worldwide leader. I mean, he, LaPlaca, too much. He always, oh, we don't call ourselves the worldwide leader. Listen, Chris, you called yourself the worldwide leader. We're going to keep calling you the worldwide leader. You said it once, that's it, all right? You shouldn't have said it. What do you want me to tell you? Let somebody else call you the worldwide leader. I get it. You don't call them anymore. But anyways, John, uh, LaPlaca on line one for you, head of PR. <laughs> for you. Uh, I'll just wait for his email. Our email, exactly. All right. All right, let's move to Apple. We have the deal last week with Major League Baseball. We've both reported about their interest in Sunday ticket, maybe also taking that Verizon cell phone deal uh, as well with the NFL. You wrote something very interesting the other day in the Sports Business Journal about Apple. What can you tell us? Apple and Sunday ticket. I'm not going to say they're on the half yard line, but they're certainly approaching the red zone on this. Apple being involved in sports rights is, is really new. Like they've been kicking the tires forever, but now they're finally starting to pay. And they're a part of every conversation that's out there right now. Uh, and, and, and some conversations that, that would surprise people. People in the sports business view them as testing. So they, they did a, 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 a relatively small MLB deal. Uh, the, the NFL deal won't be small, but it's, uh, you know, in terms of the Sunday ticket package, it's not one of these big broadcast packages. It's, a, you know, it's a Sunday ticket package and they're testing and they want to see if they can make money off this and they want to see what they can do differently with it uh, uh, as Apple. And so the idea that this is like Apple's big first step, it's kind of a, a it's more than a toe in the water. But it's, it's not really a big first step of like, okay, here comes that tidal wave that everybody's expecting. And everybody's just kind of waiting to see what the results are going to be from the baseball deal and potentially from that Sunday ticket deal before, before Apple makes any other uh, decisions after that. But once they do Sunday ticket, then they're really in, no? I mean, like, look, I, I reported they could be in on MLS. If they do MLS and this MLB Friday deal, I mean, those are, I agree, they're in. It's a story because Apple in sports but they're not really in. They do Sunday ticket and they're kind of like, but the, the Sunday ticket is different than broadcasting games. You're just sort of platform a widget to get the games out to people. Um, and I, you know, I do think it could be very successful, but you're not producing games. It's a different animal than what Amazon's taking on with Thursday night football. They could get into it, but where do I see red flags? You know, this baseball package that they got is one that every single media company said no to. And, and you know, they're, they're going to have a couple of uh, back-to-back games on a, uh, on a Friday night. They're going to have them exclusively, but here in D.C., I'm going to be watching the Orioles or the Nationals on the RSN, unless they happen to be on, on, on Apple. There's a good potential that they're not going to see any kind of engagement off that or, or the, the type of engagement that they're expecting for, for sports. Um, MLS. The, the, they can't run away from their TV ratings. People don't want consume it on, on, on television. They are a great at stadium experience, but they're, they, they haven't been a very good uh, media experience yet to date. So what if they do an MLS deal and it doesn't produce results? I mean, will Apple kind of say, wow, we're trying sports and we can't do anything with it. And, and that might cause them to, to step back. That's a fear that some of the, some leagues have right now. And I think Amazon's outflanked them on baseball too, because the Yankees, they have part ownership of yes. 
And they're going to have, I think, 21 games exclusively on Amazon Prime on Fridays. And locally, used to be on Channel 11 here in New York. This has kind of been out there because of everything that's been going on. It's been a little bit undersold. But so what would you rather have, 21 Yankee games or uh, these hodgepodge of 50 games that are just going to annoy people? I think it's pretty obvious you'd rather have the Yankee games, even if people around the country listening are like, eh, the New York fight. No, no, no. Yankees, Red Sox, the reason they're on Sunday night so much is because they <laughs> it's the, I'd rather I'd rather have a doubleheader on, on Friday night than, than 20, uh, like 21 games. About the, the Yankees aren't the Yankees anymore. George Steinbrenner's not around, man. You are lost as my uh francesa would say like uh you're lost you're crazy the yankees are the number one the yankees are like a football team when it oh, comes to i'll yes. tell you what teams i'd rather see than the yankees as a, as a baseball fan the dodgers right now the giants i think I, 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 it's a total east coast bias that you have well i think amazon i look I, I wouldn't be shocked if they try to do more of these type of deals with the bigger teams and try to get in the, that way yeah but the yankees have the name brand you you could say whatever you want they're not the yankees i mean they've aaron judge they, I, I you're not you're not wrong i mean those teams are better it's just not how baseball works uh the yankees are the cowboys of baseball and uh, they're still good. Like, I mean, it's the idea that they're not good. I mean, they make the playoffs every year. They've been a, they've had a winning record for a quarter century, a quarter, more than a quarter century. Let's move on to uh, the stay with baseball and let's go to Peacock, which is on the cusp of signing a really unique deal where they're going to have exclusive games that start potentially Sunday mornings at like 1130 or Sunday mornings at, at noon, to, uh, at least an hour, hour and a half before the traditional one o'clock start time. What do you think of that? Well, number one, let me start the positive. I think very smart. Let me start with the positive. We're journalists. Like we, our default is negative. Yeah, ahead. well, I said, you know, let me start the, I, I actually really like it in terms of the creativity. Um, you carve out that window. Um I don't think it really will have much of an impact, but I like the creativity in terms of like, how can we do this differently? How can we do this a little smarter? They've seen the window that they created with Premier League, uh, with soccer because of the time difference um, in England as compared to here. Everyone's uh, watched what Fox has done smartly with making noon uh, their own window uh, in terms of college football and making it important. Um, that was really smart and creative. And so they said, okay, they're looking at things that have worked. Uh, and how can we make this local sport a little bit more uh, palatable for national audience? And I do think there are some baseball, passionate baseball people who really will like the 11 o'clock uh, aspect of it. I will tell you people who will not like it, the players. They will not like the 11 o'clock or 1130 games. Um, they took greenies out of the sport a few years ago. So uh, if you watch uh, it's a little bit different. We're not allowed to use the caffeinated stuff uh, in the morning. That's that's changed the night game, day game after a night game. Maybe you have day games on Saturday when you have these 11 o'clock, 1130 starts. But uh, I don't think that the uh, players will love it. But again, not a uh, a good creative idea by uh, by NBC Peacock and Major League Baseball. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's fan friendly. I think that it works for NBC. I understand NBC's strategy around this. They're trying to build up Peacock. And the typical baseball fan who's an older fan, they're not streaming right now. How can you get a good subset of those fans to su start subscribing to Peacock? You know, you, you put their teams on there. You know, somebody's lazing around on a Sunday morning, you know, 
they were reading the morning paper because that's what that demo does, you know, and uh, all, all of a sudden they, they want to go in and, and, and start to, uh, to, to, to watch a game on Peacock. This is not about ratings and it's not about sort of going national. It's just about getting a bunch of uh, people that wouldn't, wouldn't have normally subscribed to the Peacock streaming service to subscribe. And if you listen to Jeff Shell or to anybody running NBC right now, once, once you get one person in, they start to, you know, go to uh, watch Saturday Night Live or they'll find a movie and they start to sample all these other genres within Peacock. And that's where Peacock starts to, to make money. And for baseball, to me, you want to have more relationship with these big companies because, you know, eight years get here quicker, six years, seven years get here quicker than you think. Um, and they'll be doing new deals before you know it. And so, you know, you get a taste. Apple likes it. Peacock, NBC says, you know what? We want the World Series. You know, Fox is at it forever. These things change. Um, and so maybe that's worth it for us. Uh, and so the more relationships you have, the more personal they are, uh, the better chance that maybe they can grow into even something more. All right, John, the big get this week, Bomani Jones. Bomani has started a new show on HBO, Game Theory. He also has his podcast for ESPN, The Right Time with Bomani Jones. Bomani, you know, first off, thanks for joining us, number one. Uh, number two is, look, we, we, we know it here. Everybody wants to cover sports media. First episode, <laughs> you came strong with Stephen A. Smith as your guest, informative interview uh, with Stephen A. Uh, but I, I like the choice going with some sports media to begin, begin your first show. Yeah, I, in, there were a couple of reasons why we did it. One, I mean, Stephen A is like the biggest dude in my industry. There, there's no way around it. It's not even something that I think people should say begrudgingly at this point. Like it's transparent and it's obvious. And also, I mean, I can't ignore that like as a younger, well, I guess at this point I ain't that young. I'm younger than him. But I guess a, you know, relatively younger black person in this industry, he's a trailblazer, right? Like the the I, I don't know how likely it is that I could be in the position to do some of the things I've done, if not for how it went when he first got to ESPN in the middle part of the aughts, you know, so I thought that it would be fitting to do that. But also, I did realize that there are lots of interesting things about him that people wouldn't know. Like we have so much stuff that we weren't able to put in there that was absolutely fascinating about him. What was that? What was the best thing you could get in there? We talked to him about the time period between when ESPN did not renew him in 2009 and he kind of reemerged in 2012 and him just kind of talking about the self-assessment that he had to do in that time and, you know, feeling like he had been blackballed in the grind that he had to get back up. Like, I think, I think that Stephen A is a bit more self-aware than people give him credit for being. And that was really on display when we talked to him and it was kind of him for taking the time. You know, Bomani, I want to go back uh, early. You have a career that I'm fascinated by. You have, you're the son of not one, but two college professors. You have a master's in politics, economics, and business. You are working on a doctorate, but now you make fun of Bob, Bobby Hurley's shorts. <laughs> like, what I want to know about you is like, how did that conversation go with your parents when you were telling them, I think I want to try this sports thing? The conversation with them in college, because I started freelancing as a senior in college. And so I had started doing that. And that was kind of always the plan was to write. And then I realized I just had a terrible misunderstanding of how much freelance writers got paid. Like, I just, I just, I just didn't grasp that that was not actually something to support yourself or a guy that I wrote for a similar publication as me. I remember at the, like 
April 2001 is my senior year, somewhere in there. And I was like, hey, how's it going? He's like, oh, man, it's great. Doing my taxes. And I realized I made $10,000 freelancing last year. I said, what? Like, like that, the, this is, it was not simply that it was 10,000. It was his excitement over it. And I was like, oh, oh, wait a minute. I've, I've misunderstood what was possible. And I wound up going to graduate school in California, like on two weeks notice. It just kind of popped up out of nowhere. There was a fellowship and I went and took it. And so that, that lean was never what I was super enthusiastic about. Like I did the PhD program largely because I thought it would help support writing. Like I, I, I looked at it and I was like, okay, so there's the economics part of it. And I don't see a lot of black economists like in that public intellectual space. And not that I didn't want to do the academic stuff also, but I always viewed it in the context of doing media stuff. And so um, when the graduate program uh, told me that I was going to be going pro in something else, I just decided at that point, all right, I'm going to lean all the way in on writing. I'd been doing it for a while. I'd had the relationships with ESPN. And I just kind of went from there. And the big thing with my parents was, I think, they understood what I had figured out, what was the, which was that I could accomplish a lot of the same goals that I would have as an academic in this space. And I could actually probably reach more people. It was just a matter of figuring out how to code the message so that it was digestible. And that's always, at least for me, I thought, been kind of the secret to whatever success I have. If, I, if you were to describe your time at ESPN, like how would you describe it? It ain't been a straight line. I think that would be the best way for me to put it. So um, in 2006, I signed a one-year contract to write for ESPN.com. In 2007, that contract was not renewed. Um, in 2010, ESPN.com called me and said that they were changing something they were doing and they thought I'd be good with it. It was back on page two. And I basically asked the question, what about that guy who wanted me fired? And they told me, well, he doesn't work over here anymore. And so they brought me back in. And once I was there, I could now start doing stuff like outside the lines. And so outside the lines in 2010, there would be weeks where I was on outside the lines three times a week. Um, that group over there really appreciated what I did. And it got me on television. I'd never been on television that much before with ESPN. And so it got me on. And then um, first take had me on once a month for about three months until Skip told him to stop calling me. That was pretty interesting. Why did Skip tell him that to stop calling you? Skip told him to stop calling me because actually the first couple of times we'd gone on there, I'm not a particularly argumentative type. And so I wasn't going on there to fight with Skip. I was going on there to talk with Skip. I thought he would find that refreshing. I completely misunderstood like what the get down was. And so one day I'm there, I'm in Bristol and uh, Jason Romano, great dude. He's checking the socials. And somebody asked Skip, I think it was Derek Brooks, since I'm in, asked Skip, who was his tough debate opponent? And he said, Greg Anthony. And I just kind of playfully looked at him and was like, oh, come on, Skip, I'm right here. And he goes, Greg Anthony. And I look at him and I say, okay. And I went out there and wore his ass out for those four downs that we had. I was like, oh, okay, I guess this is the thing. Like, it was almost like that time when Carl Malone elbowed David Robinson and gave him a concussion and then quiet Tim Duncan gave him 38. It was just like, oh, okay, this is what we're going to do. He ain't saying nothing to me after that. I don't think, I think I spoke to him once since then. And then they didn't call me back for that next month. And I got word that apparently he had let them know that he just didn't think we were a fit. And the person who told me that made it clear that that had never happened before. Um, but by the time I stopped doing that, around the horn called. And Aaron Solomon, one of my favorite people in this, and I, I guess Aaron Solomon changed my life, right? Like at the time, all the around the horn people were basically print folks. 
Like it was, you know, it was still kind of, you know, the previous iteration of, of, you know, previous rotation of people. And I remember the first time they had me on, I said to myself, I could either go out here and try to make sure they call me back or I could go out here like, I got one chance, let's just have fun. And I went with the one chance, but they kept calling me back. And then one day they were like, we're going to put you on the schedule email. Um, and an advantage I had with Around the Horn is all those people were like actual real live, you know, full on journalists. So they were traveling and doing all this stuff and they were grown ups, So they had kids. And so they went on vacation and stuff. Not me. What days can you work this week? Every day, every day, every day. I was getting paid by the show. I am available whenever you need it. And Aaron kept putting me on. Like he just kept putting me on there. And that's what got it going. Now, what was interesting is in 2013, I had been working at SB Nation as my full-time gig and that contract was up and it was time. It was time for me to go do something else. Like it was a great one-year relationship and had interest from all kinds of people. Um, NBC had interest, Fox had interest, um, a couple other folks. I can't remember all off the top, but they had interest. ESPN, for whatever reason, they said they didn't have space. They didn't have it in, you know, they didn't have anything for me to do. And I was set to go somewhere else. I had done everything but sign the contract. And then Dan Levitar popped up and said, I want him to co-host Highly Questionable with me because I had been doing the show with him, you know, doing his shows with him. And once he said that, John Skipper called me and um, charmed my pants off. And then I was in. So, Pomani, you've been on those shows a bunch. There have been a lot of reports out there that your time at ESPN is, is nearing an, an end. Uh, is it? You probably won't see me on television for a while, um, but I have a contract with them to keep doing the right time um, podcast uh, through August. And at that point, we'll see what's going on, you know, but I think I haven't been on television really very much in the last year or so. Some of that has been my decision, but I just haven't I have not been on that much. And like when High Noon got canceled, the thing worth noting is it's not like they went and created a new um general opinion sports show you know like those are the kinds of shows that i do and that's not really the kind of shows that they do anymore and so unlike somebody like mina kimes who is like a football savant and has that as her very particular direction i don't have one of those and so if you look at what they're doing now i don't know if there's just an easy hey slide bomani into that kind of place like i went and did a first take yesterday with Stephen a smith and that was a good time and i think i'm gonna do um some more of that with them like you know that kind of thing can work but in terms of me being on television there I don't know if the the model that they're following now necessarily has just an easy place to be like hey we should put Bomani in here um as for the podcast the podcast is doing very 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 well um and it has now for about the last couple of years and so as this deal that we've got now you know comes up perhaps we'll talk about it and we'll see where it goes but I wouldn't say that my time is nearing an end necessarily like neither I nor Dave or Norby or anybody has had a conversation to that end take us back to high noon a couple years I think it was like a year year and a half developing that show it was high noon then it was 4 p.m half noon um you got switched up give us the lowdown from your point of view of what happened with that program yeah so it was interesting because we had kind of originally envisioned it as a 12 to 1 show and I feel like a midday tv show in a lot of ways is similar to like a midday radio show like I am a radio host but I'm really a midday host like Colin Coward for example is a great example of this he is a midday host. He's not necessarily the person that you want. Afternoon Drive is the place that gets all the money or whatever, you know, for obvious reasons. 
but you don't want Collins starting and stopping so you get to have an update here and you know and all of these kinds of things you want Colin to stretch out and have room to go. And that's the way, like with radio, that's how I prefer to do it. And I feel like that high noon from 12 to 1, as envisioned, that was the direction that we were starting in. Um, after that, we moved to 4. And I always found it interesting because so many people who call themselves like covering sports media just don't know anything, right? They just like watching people on television. And so somehow the thought was, oh, the show's not working. So now they're shortening it to a half hour and they're moving it to a different time. Nah, what wound up happening was they had a hole at four o'clock and they felt like this show was a good fit to go into the other shows produced by the same group and at a time that would have a larger audience. So they moved us to four o'clock. That was actually about the confidence in the show rather than any apprehension that they had about it being at 12 o'clock. But it did definitely change kind of the personality of it and what was being asked of the host. And so when you have a show where you got room to kind of stretch out, it's a lot different than, hey, we got 30 minutes. We got a lot of stuff to get through, and we got to be a bit more boom, 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 boom um, about what we're doing. And so from there, we were trying to figure out kind of how to adjust it and also trying to figure out really chemistry between the hosts. And that is a bit of an amorphous concept. You just kind of grab out of the air a lot of times. Some people are really great fits, some aren't. And sometimes your show is engineered in a way where the chemistry doesn't matter. Uh, Dan and I did not have great chemistry for two, two and a half years. Um, it took us some time with that, but the way the show worked and we're both looking down barrel, it almost didn't matter. We're just running a relay race. Problem at times with High Noon is that became a relay race, except we're looking at each other. That's not the same thing. It can't go there. And so I feel like, at least as the show went, I thought earlier maybe it was one thing, but as the show went, Pablo and I did not connect on screen in the way that a show like that really needs to connect. And the sauce for the formula that Eric has for creating these shows necessitates that you have that level of chemistry. And we just didn't. That, that, that part is not necessarily anybody's fault, but it's just what it is. Now, how would you compare John Skipper's ESPN to Jimmy Pitaro's ESPN? I think the difference is that John Skipper is a content guy. And Jimmy Pitaro is not a content guy. So I have a I have good relationships with both. I have different relationships with each of them because the kinds of things I talk to John Skipper about, like I'm not going to talk to Jimmy Pitaro about Van Morrison records. You know, like it's just, it, it's going to be a different sort of thing. And so I think Skipper just had much more of an eye and honestly concern about particulars of the content in a way that I've just never personally had conversations with Jimmy um, about those things and I also think it's just a different world now that Jimmy is working under than the one John Skipper did like when people talk about how all of a sudden ESPN doesn't talk about social issues and stuff like that now nah, when George Floyd popped off and a few of these other things they still call me to come in there and talk about that but the stories of the day aren't the same like when John resigned I think at the end of 2017 we're still like in the full throes of Colin Kaepernick we're still in you know the Me Too movement is coming up like we got all these things that were going on the news cycle changed. And as the news cycle changed, the way the company, I think, came off to people changed. But I just don't think, I don't know how much of that was very particular to who the people are. But for me, there's just a difference when the guy in charge, like I imagine that if you work in sales, for example, it's different with a business guy in charge than it is with a content guy in charge. Well, Lani, we have you on here as our big get because you just launched your show on, on HBO. What are you trying to accomplish with that? Like, if you, if you had to describe that show, what is that? Yeah, I don't know if accomplish is the right word. Like, I want to make a really good TV show. 
like in the end, that's what it comes down to. Like it was why we we taped um, on Sunday where we did, you know, the things that were in the studio. We do that on the same day. And there was absolutely no pressure to that because that part is the easiest. That part is just what I do. Like, oh, you want me to sit down and talk? Oh, and this time there's a teleprompter. I don't have to come up with all this stuff off the top of my head. Oh, okay, cool. We can mash that out. And I knew walking into episode one, and not everybody going to agree, and that's fine, but I knew we had a good show. And that was the biggest thing for me is to, like, I did a, I wrote a story for Vanity Fair a couple of years ago, and I'm an off and on writer. And that's easily the most prestigious publication I'd ever written for. And I just wanted to be up to the standard of the publication. Like, that was the biggest thing for me is that, you know, I want to write something that's supposed to be in Vanity Fair. I don't want to send something that the editors have to turn into something that winds up in Vanity Fair, you know, and that for me was the greatest measure of pride was that, you know, I've, I've been fired from writing jobs. I had my confidence beat up about being a writer and not to rub it in anybody's face. But for me, it was helpful to be like, hey, no, I can do this. You know, I didn't feel the same way coming off a of high noon like that didn't hurt my confidence or anything like that. I thought the show didn't work and I, 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 I know enough to know, right? Like they could have kept it if they wanted to, but they didn't have to. And it's our obligation to put them in a position where they have to. But with this, when we did our first test show, uh, the executives from HBO told us, this feels like an HBO show. And I was like, okay, we're good. Like, we'll go from there. I wanted to be able to do that. And I was talking to a, um, somebody um, in the industry yesterday and they asked, I was like, I'm sure you felt the pressure of doing this. And I was like, no, there's no pressure. He's like, yeah, but I mean, I imagine that, you know, there's got to be pressure about getting picked up next season. Why, why are we worried about next season? Like, we got this season. This is what we're going to do. I got money. I'm not, I'm just, you know, I don't have kids and like all these responsibilities that I got to worry about. And so, honestly, this has been so much fun and so interesting to do. And the people that I'm with are just so talented and able to come up with so much stuff that I just want to make a good television. Like, I want to make a television show that continues to make the people who work on it as proud as they seem to be on Monday about the product that we put up. Because, I mean, you guys can be honest. I'm not offended by this. You knew HBO was going to give me a TV show. You knew the last TV show I did didn't necessarily work out that well. You didn't know much about what this show was going to be or, like, what the parameters and everything were. And I think it's pretty safe to assume that it was a lot better than you thought it would be. And... <laughs> I'm okay with that. How do you know what we thought it was going to be? I got, it's a lot better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Fair enough. I guess to answer your question, we started with what I hope to accomplish. I think we did accomplish that already. And if we don't, like, I think I saw, I don't know if you saw the 30 for 30 on Marcus Dupree, but, you know, after all the stuff that he had gone through, he got one year in the league and he was good. He was like, look, man, I finally got to play in the NFL. And I'm legitimately if we only do these six episodes, I am truly and legitimately satisfied and happy that we will have had the chance to do these six episodes. If they're not good, I'll be disappointed that they're not good, but I'm not going to be disappointed because they didn't pick it up. Who's the guest this week? Uh, Vince Staples is going to be the guest this week. All right, there you go. I would have gone sports media. Just <laughs> like, you know, I got a slant here. Skip uh, Bayless, come on down. Oh, no! that would be good. Get you and Skip back together. Seems like Stephen A wants you in. Skip didn't. Uh, this is great stuff. Uh, Bomani Jones, you got the podcast with ESPN, The Right Time with Bomani Jones, and then Game Theory on HBO just starting up. Good luck with that. And thanks for being on our podcast. We appreciate it, Bomani. Nah, fellas, thanks for having me. 
Yeah, Bomani was good. Uh, the Skip Bayless thing, uh, he wouldn't let him come back on first take, and that kind of, uh, I could see that it could have been a good combo, Bomani and uh, Skip going at it, a little different styles, but Skip likes that gladiator-type uh, approach to uh, the debates. Bomani's smart. Bomani knows how to argue. I thought that would have been great. That Skip Bayless thing, we're going to clip that and put it on Twitter almost immediately, Andrew. <laughs> for sure, for sure. All right. Let's go to our call of the week. Call of the week. All right. This week we have Andre Yarmolenko. He's a Ukrainian soccer star who plays for West Ham in the English Premier League. He's, he had been on compassionate leave since the start of the war. He suited up for the first time on Saturday against Aston Villa. And this happened on USA Network. Maybe this is his opportunity. Ben Rama curled the ball into Yarmolenko! What an emotional moment for the Ukrainian! A magnificent finish and a majestic reaction from player, teammates and the crowd. Special, special moments for Andrei Yarmolenko. Oh, wow. That was Gary Taphouse on play-by-play. I, I have to tell you, Andrew, I didn't expect to get misty-eyed watching soccer on a Saturday morning, but I did. I thought Taphouse's call was good. Not great. I thought it was good. But the whole scene was worthy of our call of the week. Yeah, that was a moment um, uh, seeing him go down and, and crying on the field uh, was, uh, you could see why the emotion of everything that's going on that's larger than uh, scoring a goal in the Premier League, but still um, with the fans supporting him, uh, they, it's, uh, that was a special moment that where sports kind of crosses over. Uh, you know, the greatest moment I ever witnessed was Mike Piazza uh, after 9-11, first game back in New York at Shea Stadium against the Braves. Uh, he hit a, a two-run go-ahead home run that ended up being the game winner uh, in the bottom of the eighth inning. Goose, I had goosebumps. Like I never had goosebumps at an event. Um, and of course it doesn't larger scheme of things. Doesn't mean anything. It, it, it did mean something to be in that stadium that day um, with all those people. You didn't know what was going to happen. We were all were kind of a little bit um, apprehensive about what was next. Uh, and uh, it was their big rival. So sports can be something that unites and, and, and uh, you know, even in these uh, terrible situations. Yeah, you know, Taphouse said later in that call, uh, this is a, a goal that he's going to remember for the rest of his career. And it's, uh, it, it, you know, it, it, it was a totally meaningful call that just brought out a bunch of emotions. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us. Bomani Jones, want to thank him. HBO, uh, Game Theory is his new show. I want to thank him for joining us. We talked a lot of NFL TV free agent frenzy. That was fun. Uh, probably a little bit more next week as well on that. And then we're probably never going to move on to other things, but we will move on to other things as well at some point. There, there, there we got to get Al over the goal line. The half yard line's not good enough. Come on. Willie, maybe by the time you're listening to this, he's gone over the goal line. Will they give it to Mashawn Lynch? They're going to have Mashawn Lynch at Amazon. They got to hand it to Mashawn Lynch. He's going to be part of their broadcast. Uh, oh, yes. Don't throw it. Don't throw it. Don't throw it. It'll be an interception. Uh, I don't think so. I think it'll be Burkhart, but. But we shall see. All right. If you like the uh, podcast and you want to follow us, uh, that helps. Uh, stars, the five are good. Um, and then also comments apparently are also helpful. So we appreciate anybody who does that. Thanks for listening. Thanks.